and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real life HR situations we face every day. On today's episode, I have with me Jenny Clark. I'm so excited that you were able to join us. You are um, just amazing. You have this great speaking repertoire and a book underneath your belt. You get an opportunity to speak at our conference. So thanks for joining us today. Oh, Sherry, thank you so much. I love you guys at Paylocity. It's just really a pleasure to be with you. Wonderful. I thought we could start with just a little bit about you for the audience. Um, you know, what's your story? How'd you get to where you are today? <laughs> yeah, I'll try to keep it short. I have a lot of years under my belt, but um, grew up in Riverside, California, wanted to be a veterinarian, went to UC Davis to study animal science, and then um, decided, you know, I'd, I'd have, I'd have to cut my nails and I, <laughs> I couldn't wear nice clothes and, um, you know, I'd be at, at state fairs flipping sheep and whatnot. So I, I studied French and linguistics and was very active on campus, thought about studying higher ed administration, and then decided to go to business school after working for the university as a college recruiter for a couple of years, put a pin in that, um, moved to Chicago where I am again and had most of my career here. It started out in banking and then the commercial real estate business with Jones Lang LaSalle and Prudential Real Estate Investors. And then my dad died and I just questioned everything about my life and uh, thought back to what were the things that I really, really liked and enjoyed in my, that I had done in, it was eight or 10 years. And so um, it was recruiting. And I thought, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. And I networked my way into one of the world's largest executive search firms, Spencer Stewart, and was there for 12 years, became a partner, co-founded Leather Global Diversity Practice. And then I almost rather impulsively left um, to write this book uh, that I just really felt compelled to write. I can talk more about that later. Um, and I did consulting. I did some other things, um, executive recruiting, along with the book and coaching and things like that. And then went back into a firm, single mom, by the way, had a son during all of this, who's now 25. Um, and then Google called and said, we need some help in our executive recruiting function as it relates to diversity. And that's really my expertise and um, a part of my expertise. I'm quick to say that until you've understood the inner workings of executive recruiting, only then can you layer on the diversity element of it. So um, once I got there, it was, a, I, I, again, I can talk more about it, but it was a really interesting uh, four and a half years where building out that capability, as well as being asked to create an internal mobility program for their senior leaders, um, and, and then taking over a team of recruiters and researchers. So I had three teams concurrently in my, uh, in my, during my tenure there. And I left last year in November, 2020, and I'm doing my own thing now, consulting, speaking, um, I'm an entrepreneur in residence with Hearst Lab, uh, which is for female founders. So I've got a portfolio of things that I'm doing. And uh, yeah, that's that's the short story. <laughs> Not so short story. It's fascinating. I love hearing people's origin stories. Um, you know, being a vet, that's like that's so cool that you you landed here and your journey to get here. Um, 
and you're so passionate about recruiting and career advancement. God bless you. I, you know, I did recruiting for a hot second and it was not my cup of tea. So, um, it's, it's definitely, you have to be wired for it. So it's so cool to hear what you've done and really going to be part of our discussion today. You know, I want to center in around career advancement. It's always been a hot topic. And I feel like over the years, this conversation around, you know, climbing the ladder mm-hmm. has changed to like, what is the lattice movement? So mm-hmm. as you've gone through your career, have you seen people's drive for advancement change over the years? Um, I'll say yes and no, because I think different generations have had different orientations, right? Um, I think when I was coming up, there was a lot of that just straight up kind of a trajectory that people expected and almost were entitled to. Keep in mind, I want to hasten to add that that's that's based on a a relatively old model of the corporate hierarchy, right? Which, as I understand the history of work, was founded in a paramilitary environment. So you got to call into question what that's really about. Um, And then for women, there were a whole set of different dynamics. And for people of color, a whole set of different dynamics, the glass ceiling, the this, the that. So all kinds of impediments to that just straight line kind of trajectory. And then I look at my son and some of the people that I managed while I was at Google who are uh, millennials and Gen X and Gen Z and Y and all those, and they have a different orientation. Some of it is this, okay, do I get promoted? And they think it's this meritocracy kind of like school where um, if I got an A, then I then I get to get moved on, right? And it's like, no, that's not how that works. So it's interesting that there's a bit of the, the same mindset about forward progression. But I, I hope um, that people are focusing, this is what I try to tell my son, focus on building competency. And that's, the, that's different from skills. And we can talk about that later too. But I think people um, very often want the, the movement simply as a, as, as a form of ego, just to feel good or better than somebody else and to have the title and to make the money. And it's, it was just this thing that, were, that everyone was sort of programmed to come to expect and to seek. And I think over time, we've seen that that doesn't always bring you gratification. Um, and it can come at a high cost to your mental and physical well being. So I think there's a little bit more balance in terms of what people want. And this notion of a lattice is a great thing to be able to sidestep and have that still be of value to the organization because you are gaining additional skills and competencies. That's my hope. Um, you know, as I say, I think the the, the different generations are uh, it's ever ever shifting. And I also should mention that the the pandemic that we've been in for nearly two years has changed a lot of that in the minds of so many. Um, you know, people can't just say, "Well, can I get you know, can I get promoted now?" Hey, you know what? We're we're kind of going through some stuff as an organization. We're trying to figure out back to work. We're trying. So you know, I think people need to make sure that they're focused on adding value in their organizations and not just moving up for the sake of moving up. It's interesting that idea of moving up just for the sake of moving up. You know, I'm, I'm going through an activity myself in my own career where, you know, I'm trying to center in on like, you know, I know my why, but what does that look like now as I, as I get older and in my career advances and there's new opportunities and stuff. So it's always interesting to reevaluate that. You have your own podcast, um, which is amazing. You have a lot of really amazing people on that. And I'll make sure to put that link in the show notes. 
you talk on your podcast about liminality. And I'd love for you to kind of explain to our listeners what is that and how does that manifest when you're looking to advance your career? Well, it's it's a state of transition. Um, you know, I think this is what the dictionary says, sort of between uh, from one stage to the next, especially major stages. And so some of the context in which I was saying that is based on where we are now in the pandemic and with so much um, social unrest and social change. I mean, this is these are some of the most dynamic times. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to use try to put a positive spin on it um, in our civilization. Right. Everything is shifting, everything. And much of it is not in our control. So I actually think that that transition is in indeed the, the notion of liminality suggests that it's a it's a rite of passage. And I think to the extent we see it as that and not a problem that we pause and say, why is this happening? Not just not me as a victim, but why is this happening to our civilization? Can we contextualize it? and try to gain some greater meaning about purpose, about contribution, about equity, about helping our fellow man. Um, I sound very Pollyanna, but but I think I actually think that that's part of why this is all happening to us. And we need to think about that as we're thinking about our own careers. Why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm supposed to do? And for me, I've realized I've, I've constantly asked myself that and you never stop. You should never stop. Um, and and part of what motivates me is being of service. Um, and that's what I saw in with my parents. They didn't always have to talk about it. They demonstrated it. You know, they would um, back in the 60s when I was coming up, they they were doing things in the community and, and standing up for something and being supportive. My dad was on the city council after he retired. So, you know, it's. That too, I think, is relevant when we're talking about liminality. This is these are changing times. We have to find our own footing and our own meaning. It's so true. I, it's interesting to me that people right now who have said things like people don't want to work, and I, I just have a hard time believing that. I, I think that people are doing exactly what you talked about. They're evaluating what work they want to do and yeah. what life they want to have and. What does that look like now? Because there are different options than existed before because of this exciting dynamic time that we're in. A million ways to make a living, right? And and it, I think it's unfortunate that that meme is out there. It's suggesting that people are somehow lazy and, and not motivated. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Yeah. You know, as a female, I often worry about, you know, my own career advancement being perceived as you know, bossy, quote unquote, mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. um, you know, staying humble for my accomplishments. Um, and I, and I wonder, does that hold, you know, me back? Does that hold females back from telling our unique stories? You talk a lot about storytelling. So mm -hmm. how do you figure out how to tell your story with confidence and authenticity, especially as a female? You know, um, man, I, you know, I played small during different times in my career. I could admit that now. Um, and some of it we, was because I'm a black woman, I'm six feet tall. Uh, you know, I was told, well, you intimidate people. And then finally I was like, but that's not my problem now, is it? If somebody else is intimidated, um, having said that I did need to learn skills that were going to, um, help other people get to where, where I could meet them, right. Sort of meet them where they were. Um, but it's a, I think <laughs> 
right now, my attitude is at this age and stage of my life, look, I'm not apologizing anymore. And I think a lot of women still unwittingly apologize. We say little things like, well, I was going to say, aren't you going to say it? I mean, it's sort of like you're hesitant about the, the statement that's about to come. Um, there's so many things in the way that we speak that I think, well, but I don't really, I don't know if this is important, but why do we do it? You don't hear men doing that nearly as often as women do. So we need to catch ourselves and stop placing caveats on our point of view. I don't think we need to make excuses for being strong. Um, there's a difference between being bossy and being strong and decisive. And, and very often the observer, a male, might not discern between the two. And, you know, I think also we, we cannot walk around trying to be liked all the time. This was something that I, my mother um, used to say and exhibited. She said, you don't have to like me, but you will respect me. And respect comes from me offering it to you. Me, and I don't have to like you as long as I can, I, I can respect you even without liking you. And I expect the same, right? So there's a level of trust that comes from, um, that, that is a part of being respected and being respectable. Um, and trust comes with truth. And so to me, these are things that women, I, I think generally embody, I'm not going to say more than men, but I think we're oriented to be really truthful and honest and, um, and transparent. And I think all those things uh, are great leadership characteristics that we need to own. We don't need to be like men. We didn't, we're not like them. We behave differently. We think differently. We give birth. I mean, we're biologically different. And so, you know, there's a, we, I think we just need to own it and help men come along with understanding who we actually are. Because it's funny, and I'll, and I'll stop, but it just came to mind how many men will say, oh, well, I have daughters, or I have a very, you know, successful, independent wife. And yet, when you observe them in the workplace, they're not necessarily exhibiting the awareness that one would expect of a father or a devoted husband who really can connect with women. So something for people to check themselves on. I, I've never even thought of telling somebody, oh, I have sons. Therefore, I know the male perspective. It, this is no. really, it's really interesting. I, I would have never That's thought right. to even said that in my no. life. Um, okay, to switch gears a little bit, you know, thinking about career advancement and taking your next steps, you know, what if you're in this role and, and you've done some soul searching, but you're just not challenged anymore and mm -hmm. you don't know what's next. You're having a really hard time even figuring out, you know, where do I take that first step? Um, you know, what activities or what advice do you have for people who are who are there right now? Yeah. And, you know, that's um, that's the essentially why I wrote this book, Career Mapping, Charting Your Course in the New World of Work, 10 years ago, <laughs> um, because I saw so many people as an executive recruiter who would come to me and say, Jenny, you're going to help me find my next job. And I thought, probably I would sometimes tell them probably not. And it wasn't I was trying not trying to be dismissive, but realistic, meaning I worked for one search firm a global search firm, albeit. And I think we did 4,500, 5,000 searches a year globally, which sounds like a big number, but there are literally millions of opportunities out there, many of them that you access straight through that company. And so I took the methodology of executive recruiting 
and applied it to an individual and how it is that they need to be thinking about their career by first assessing, taking inventory of all of their competencies. And I can talk more about competencies versus skills versus other things in a minute, but I think a lot of people don't know what they're good at. And they're waiting to be told by somebody else what they're good at. Well, how about you know first so that you can even tell them, right? So I think that to me is one of the the foundational elements and then begin to create your own strategy of where you might want to work. And I don't mean just go apply randomly. I talked to somebody once who said they had made 800 applications and I thought, what a waste of time. 800, I mean, you're treating it like it's a lottery system and it it just isn't. You you need to know what you want and be deliberate and you're going to show up in a much different way to a recruiter. Um, because you know, you've looked at job descriptions, you know something about the organization. And so lay that out for yourself and create several different tracks that make sense for who you are today based on what you've done in the past. So that's really the thesis in the book that I think is the most healthy way. And you do it over and over again at different stages of your life and career. You brought up competencies and skills um, a couple of times. So I want to dive into that next. How do you see those differently? Here's how I look at them. And and it's been written about. I'm not the only one who says that. But, you know, skills are um, skills can be learned. Skills are the what. Right. And competencies are the how competencies are the behavior that goes along with the, the skill, because you can be skilled at something and not necessarily competent. Um, one description I've seen says that competencies are a combination of skills, knowledge, and abilities. And I really like that because I think that does kind of sum it up. But again, a lot of us don't make that discernment. But the part of the way that I always um, like to talk about competencies is to remind people um, that very often, you know, in the hiring process, people want to use experience as a proxy for competency. And, and I'll say, um, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who have tons of experience who aren't necessarily competent in some areas. Um, think about it. Usually someone comes to someone's head, right? Yeah. That leads me to a follow-up question. Then if you're going down this path and you want to demonstrate to a recruiter that you're competent in something, you know, what's your advice for that? It's a little more challenging to do um, in, in just a screening. There are ways to write a resume. And this is something I talk about in my book is to list your competencies and it's different language that you use. And you have to offer what I call proof points when you're listing them. So you are describing aspects of your experience, but you're linking them to specific uh, behaviors because competencies can be deconstructed, meaning you take the context out of it, right? So I don't care if you work in finance, maybe you want to now work in marketing, but your ability to do analysis in finance, your ability to make thoughtful presentations and to understand the underlying business dynamic is absolutely relevant and could arguably, you could take those deconstructed elements of working in finance, apply them to a completely different function in marketing. Um, And and frankly, that's some of what I did early in my career as I look back on being in banking and commercial real estate and doing different functions and then bringing that forward into executive recruiting, which is much more around understanding business dynamics 
and um, doing business development than it is knowing a lot of having a network of people, um, contrary to what a lot of people think. So I think that was how I was able to, for myself, understand competencies and bring them to life and apply them. And I really want more people to do that so they can open up more opportunities for themselves because the onus is on you to describe and demonstrate your competency. Other people are just going to, you know, I would look at a resume for 30 seconds and decide if it was something I was going to put in this pile or that pile, right? And so, and I, I looked at it, I started on the back page and I worked forward to see the trajectory that somebody had, and then I would do a deeper dive. But to make that first cut, you better put something up there that is going to catch somebody's eye. And it's, it should align with the competencies associated with the role. That's so important. That one note there, uh, I can't tell you how many resumes I've looked at when I was in recruiting that I was like, are you applying for the job I have posted? Um, because it, it didn't align, you know, somebody gave me this advice really, really long ago. I, I don't know if you'd agree with it or not. So you'll have to correct me if you don't agree, but, um, they were like, you can put anything on your resume, not necessarily you can put anything on an application. They're different mm -hmm. things. One, you get to present yourself. So customize it. Don't lie, but, you know, lean totally. into the things that align with the role. Absolutely. I, I mean, if you, this is why I'm saying line up three, probably no more than three different areas that you might want to go into or industries that you might want to work in, right? So think about if you want to be in tech, so many people want to be in tech when I was at Google, but what does that mean, right? And which companies do you really want to work for? And what are the unique characteristics of that industry versus the role and the function that you're in? And understand all those things, right? There's a different language. There are nuances in each. So customize your resume to address those things. I would say customize it based more on function than industry or sector, um, but they should match up. You know, job descriptions, I would always insist when I was at Google and at Spencer Stewart that um, the job description needed to incorporate competencies. It needed, there were the, the overall, this is what the job's about. These are the responsibilities. These are the minimum and preferred requirements. And then these are the competencies that we're looking for, demonstrated behaviors. That's what you focus on when you're writing your own resume to align with those. I love that piece of advice for uh, employers listening who are writing job descriptions or Please. job postings. Add those competencies. I absolutely love it. Um, to wrap up our discussion, you know, my last question, if you've, you've done the work, you've sat down, you've got your resumes, um, and you're like, yeah, you know what? I have a really broad skill set. I have a yeah. really broad set of competencies and I'm having a hard time defining um, what to do next because everything is exciting um, and, I, and I have so many options. You know, how do you help somebody who's in that boat kind of narrow it down to something that's going to make them feel fulfilled? Yeah, um, that's where introspection matters, you know, because I, I see this with my son sometimes. He, uh, he's doing great. Um, I'm very excited for him. He's, he's working in the entertainment world. And right now he's working for the Obama's production company. So I'm, I'm, I couldn't be more proud. Right. I mean, he's, he, he earned it. He's, he's, uh, he's really committed, but I bring him up because I also see sometimes how he and, and other of his friends in his generation 
um, what, what would I call it? They socialize their decisions. Well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? My friend over here said this. I'm like, no, no. What do you think? And what do you want? Right. And, and I think that is so important. It's not what your parents want. So don't, this is not consensus. This is you deciding for yourself. And oh, by the way, you can change your mind. Now don't flip flop every, every year, but think back and which is what I did. What are the things that gave you the most joy, the most um, interest, you know, that, that really were compelling to you where you could focus on that thing for a specific amount of time? What were those things, those activities, those environments, and then piece that together. It, it really is like piecing a puzzle together and then say, okay, because you've got this basket of things, but how good are you really, right? Because it becomes relative. So you might've been able to do X, Y, and Z in this role, but that was tertiary. So what were the primary things that you did really, really, really well? And then, and match that up with, and now you're starting to, you, the funnel, right? Just like in recruiting, you start with a funnel or a pipeline. Now you're starting with a basket of capabilities and skills and competencies that you want to winnow down into one or two different kinds of roles that hold meaning for you and you alone. And don't let anybody try to tell you that you shouldn't do it. What great advice. I love it. Um, you have a podcast. Let's, let's yep. have you pitch your podcast in case somebody wants to listen to you. Uh, where, oh, what's it called you. and how do they listen to it? Yeah, it's called Fifth Dimensional Leadership and it's on all the platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Pandora, um, I have a website, JennyClark.com, G-I-N-N-Y-C-L-A-R-K-E.com. All the podcast information is there as well. So thank you for that. Of course. Thanks for taking a few minutes out of your uh, amazing schedule and amazing work you do to, to jump on the podcast with me. Thank you, Sherry. It's been a pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.